All right, welcome to the Divorce 661 Daily Perspective, episode 52. Today we are talking about a bunch of things. We're going to go over the consultations. We're going to go over issues people had. We're going to talk about uh, child support uh, issues uh, as well as the financial side of divorce. Lots to go over with you. I'm Tim Blankenship. I'm a legal document preparer in California. I handle amicable divorce cases throughout California. Hope you're doing well this uh, Thursday, 5 o'clock, February 8th, 2024. So why do I do this? People have asked me to go live more often now than uh, we did in the past. And I usually do, uh, what is episode 52? So we do these daily podcasts and they said, hey, why don't you do those live so we can jump on and do some questions? Okay, so here I am. Make sure to ask your questions in the uh, chat on YouTube. You don't have to... Um, doesn't have to be about the content, and I'll answer them at the end. Today, uh, we always start off by going over what we did for the day. Today, I had six consultations uh, from counties all over California. Only one new divorce case today. I kind of appreciated the little break, to be honest with you. We started 18 divorce cases already this month, and it's only the 8th of February. So I did need the break to work on judgments, uh, helping, and as well as going over the consultations and talking to folks. So... Let's get into the content today. Judgment rejects is always what we're talking about because half my business comes to me uh, by people that have had their either judgment rejected from the court or after they filed and served, they said, oh my gosh, there's so much more to do. I don't think I can do this. And so those folks hire us. So I want to talk about uh, judgment takeover. The first thing I do is either have them send me all of their file documents or if it's a county I can order the copies from, I'll go ahead and order the copies from the county. And in this particular case, the FL100 did not address spouse support at all. It's a it's a big issue people have with the income or with the um, petition. If they don't want spouse support, they just completely avoid that section on page two of the petition. They just won't address spouse support at all. Or worse, they'll mark the other mark other mark the other box and write the word none in. Both are incorrect. You have to address spouse support. Either you want it, you don't want it or maybe you want it later. And there's different boxes for that. Then on the petition, they marked there was no assets or debts uh, on the petition. And then they attached property declarations that had numerous assets and debts to them, which is going to completely confuse the court. They also, the other issue I saw is they had filed the FL-141, Declaration of Service of Declaration of Disclosure, and they did not put the date that they served their spouse. So of all the documents that they filed to start their case, every one of them had errors and omissions, and I had to correct all that. And that's what I do. So that's how, what it looks like if you were to hire me for your judgment reject, um, or before you go into turning your judgment, I always want to review the paperwork you've previously filed to make sure there's nothing we don't have to clean up there. Okay, number two, what can you do if you're not sure your divorce will be amicable, but you want it to be amicable, but you don't quite want to hire an attorney just yet? You kind of want to see what happens, see if if it'll work out. And that's what happened today. I had a consultation to, uh, from someone uh, with someone who was uh, re, um, referred to us. And they, in the conversation, and that's the reason I do these consultations, to make sure they're going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, amicable, cooperative, and we can be able to finalize their divorce. And it was coming up uh, again and again that she just wasn't sure on certain elements of the divorce. She's hoping he'll be amicable. She's hoping it, it'll go through smoothly. So what I said is, why don't we do this? And I've done this several times. Why don't we just 
file your divorce case for you. Just do the initial filing, not serving anything. Let's just file it. Don't even bring me into the picture. Let's just get the process started. File the divorce paperwork. I'll get you a case number, give you the paperwork, and you go and sit down with your spouse and say, hey, I filed for divorce. Here's the paperwork. Let's talk. It kind of is that first conversation. You guys can sit down. Now, you're not serving him because you can't serve him, but it's it's as amicable as an initiation to the divorce process you can do by just saying, look, I actually pulled the trigger. I know I've given you weeks, months, years to get ready for this. I told you I was going to do it. Here it is. It's actually filed. Here's a case number. You know, Here's a clerk's signature, all that good stuff. So um, that's what we're going to do in this case. And, and what I do when we don't know, and my issue is I don't want to take your money if I don't think I'm going to finalize your divorce. So I'm not going to charge my full fee. And then we just do this petition and then they go sideways and they get attorneys. I'd rather, rather them have that money for attorneys if that's what they're going to end up needing because they're not in agreement or cooperative or whatever the case might be. So we're just going to do the initial petition. We're going to get filed. I'm going to send her on her way. And when she sits down and goes over everything, if everything, you know, if they can talk about the terms and discuss, you know, because they had kids and, if you know, their one the husband was going to stay in the house and they're just going to try and make the work, make it work the best they could. And uh, so when we we do initiate that process with them, if they then want to move forward because they are amicable, we can just uh, charge them the remainder of the portion that they would have paid to initiate and uh, and finalize their divorce for them then. All right. Number three, why are you hiring an attorney? for your amicable divorce. That's what came up on a consultation today. And I kind of jumped the gun on them right out the gate. I heard they said, oh, our attorney said, and I'm like, oh, I can't help you if you have an attorney. And so anyways, I was wrong and I apologize to them, but all that they had done is consulted with an attorney and uh, to find out the cost, the process, how it works and all that. But when I started talking to them, they were 99% in agreement. They just didn't know what they needed to make decisions on. They said, Tim, what, what do we need to decide on? Like what goes into a settlement agreement? So I want to answer that. It's assets, debt, division, custody, child support, spouse support, and property division. That's it. Everything that you guys have and do needs to be addressed one way or the other. And um, so we went over each of those in detail so they'd know what they had to do and what decisions they had to make. But they did not need an attorney. You know what their answer was? And I said, why, why were you guys talking to an attorney? And they said, we didn't know you existed. We didn't know a service like yours existed. We didn't know it was possible to go through an amicable divorce. We thought we had to get an attorney and uh, that we had no other option. And so I was glad to have talked to them, talked to them about our service, about how we handle amicable divorce cases in California. And um, and here's the thing, if they would have, uh, one of them, I believe it was the husband that uh, consulted with the attorney, they were quoted over, over $5,000 uh, for their retainer for a simple amicable divorce. When I say simple, I mean amicable. It's it's complex. It's tricky. There's a lot of all involved in it, a lot of I, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. But um, you know, because there's there's kids and there's there's home and there's vehicles and there's pensions and all that. So I don't want to say it's simple, but they're amicable, and you don't need an attorney for that. So um, I do these videos. I think going on 3,200 videos. I do this daily podcast almost every day. Now I'm doing them live. Again, get your questions in, folks, and I'll be happy to answer them. But uh, you do not need an attorney. If you're amicable, give me a call. All right, now we're going to talk about child support in depth. Specifically, I'm going to give you five reasons why I recommend you do not have an official child support order as part of your overall divorce. Now, remember, I'm talking about amicable divorce cases, not where you guys are trying to kill each other, 
going to court and trial, you're going to say, Tim, that's crazy. Why would I not want to have an official court order for child support? It's because it's because these people are amicable. They were talking about their, they want to co-parent. They want to be friends. They want to uh, be good parents to their children and be able to get along. As this person said earlier on the consultation, we're going to be in each other's lives for a long time, dealing with our kids and you know, graduations and proms and high school and college and all that in their life, because I believe the youngest was two years old. So, and she was absolutely right. So you took the words out of my mouth. So here's why I recommend you don't have an official child support order as part of your divorce case. Number one, flexibility without a former, without a formal court. I'm going to start over flexibility. Without a formal child support order, parents have more flexibility to adjust payments based on changing circumstances such as fluctuations in income or the child's needs. The flexibility can lead to more cooperative co-parenting relationships. So I've talked to a bunch of clients today, uh, and that's my new process in asking them uh, is to let them know, hey, we don't have to have an official child support order as part of your divorce. We can write in on the child. We have to have a child support order attachment, but the, when I mean an official order for it, meaning not an actual dollar amount. So um, I'm recommending that to our clients where applicable. Um, I know some people still want it and that's fine. It's your call, not mine, but you do not have to have it. So I want to talk about why you shouldn't and some of the benefits. So talking about the uh, changing circumstances, um, maybe a there's a timeshare change. And and I'm not saying, keep in mind, I'm not saying that you don't, you don't, you guys are not assisting each other with child support. Uh, a lot of people jump on me when I do these talks about no child support. I'm not saying you guys are not taking care of the kid, I'm not saying you guys aren't behind the scenes um, helping each other out or paying for um, extracurricular activities or copays or, you know, that sort of thing. I'm just saying in a no official per the court order child support. That's all I'm talking about. So if you have an official child support order and say it's, you know, a thousand bucks a month, there is no flexibility in that. That is now court ordered that it's a thousand dollars a month. And the only way to change that is by going back to court. That doesn't seem very flexible to me that you have to go to court if you want to change something just because one of you moved and now the timeshare is different. And like I was talking about earlier, if your incomes change and, um, you know, th there should be an increase or decrease in child support for that reason. You have to go back to court to change that. If you leave it reserved, you handle everything behind the scenes. I think you're going to be a lot better off. Now, I know there are some of those that they, they're going to want to involve, you know, child support incorporate into it. And that's totally fine. It's not wrong. Um, you just don't have as much flexibility. Number two reason why I recommend you don't have a official child support order uh, in your divorce is cost savings. Touched on this a bit, but avoiding the legal process associated with establishing a child support order can save both parties time and money and legal fees and court costs. This can be particularly beneficial if the divorcing couple agree on child support arrangements and can handle it amicably. So that kind of, like I said, we were touched on that a bit. We're talking about the fact that you have to go to court every time you want to modify or change the child support order. So in our example where he said in the divorce, it was $1,000. If there's a change in circumstances, income change, what you know, timeshare change or something that, that causes you wanting to change the child support order you have in place, you're going to have to go back to court. Now, by agreement, it's as little it's as little as us just drafting a, a four page stipulation saying we're modifying child support from a thousand to five hundred or whatever you're doing, but um, you still are going to have a fee, a cost for that. I charge a fee to do those modifications. You're going to have court fees. That's not necessary if you have a reserved 
jurisdiction on child support, an out-of-court agreement on child support, and you simply say, hey, Janet, you know, let's, uh, here's the situation. Let's discuss uh, changing the child support up or down or whatever you guys are doing. Number three reason I recommend you don't have a child support order in your official uh, judgment final divorce paperwork is privacy. I wrote, court proceedings and documents related to child support orders are typically matters of public record. By not having an official order, parents can maintain a greater privacy regarding their financial arrangement and personal matters. I tell you, every everything I do for you as my client is to keep your privacy intact. Uh, when it comes to the settlement agreement, we're not listing values. We're not listing account numbers on accounts pensions and so forth, all to keep your information private. So this hit me big when I was coming up with these reasons not to do this, privacy. You have a child support order that is public record, technically. Someone could go obtain those records and say, oh, you're paying child support. And I don't know, use it against you or whatever nefarious purposes they would use that information for. Um, you know, if you have to give a copy of your divorce decree for whatever evidence, I don't know, future spouse, um, you're going to get married. But if that legal document has terms of, of all your other terms, excuse me, has uh, all your other terms, property division, spouse support, who's keeping what, custody, and you have the child support order. I don't think there's a negative connotation about people who are paying child support. I think I think there is among a certain public of people that say, oh, you're paying child support like you don't, you know, because you don't have custody. It's not that situation. But if you had to give this like to your employer for some reason, I don't know why you'd have to do that. But if you had to give your um, your settlement agreement, your judgment to anyone else, and if it has that child support in there, then it's just a lack of privacy. If you didn't have it in there, when we did reserve jurisdiction, then they don't know that you're paying. As far as they know, they read through your paperwork. They don't know that you're paying child support at all. So you can keep it totally private. The fourth reason I came up with on why I recommend that you don't have an official child support order as part of your settlement agreement is avoiding conflict. And I wrote down, in some cases, the formalization of a child support order can lead to heightened conflict between ex-partners. By keeping child support arrangements informal, parents may be able to avoid unnecessary tension and maintain a more positive relationship for the sake of their children. And this came up on... Exactly. And I wrote, I, I had this plan to do this video today before I had this, con had a consultation with clients that had this exact scenario came up. They were concerned about, oh, do we have to have child support involved? You know, we don't want child support. You know, we want to handle it behind the scenes. They're so concerned about what they had to decide on. And I said, no, I said, in fact, I'm going to do this video today about this. And this, I think it was going to have a, create a conflict with them if we had, if I forced them, or or I didn't know that the court would allow a reserved jurisdiction zero child support uh, child support order, that they they would have been forced into. Hey, let's run the numbers. Oh, based on your income and her income and the timeshare. Hey, the calculation shows five hundred dollars in child support. So that's what it has to be. That's what would happen if you went to court, but not if you use an amicable divorce solution like myself to help you. We can package it up any way you like. So avoiding conflict was number four. Number five, reason why I recommend reserved child support or no child support as part of your overall judgment and settlement agreement is parental cooperation. Opting not to have an official child support order may encourage both parents to work together collaboratively to meet the financial needs of the children. This cooperation, a cooperative approach can lead to more effective 
co-parenting and better outcomes for the children involved. So all of these flexibility, cost savings, privacy, avoiding conflict, parental cooperation, that all sounds great to me. How about you? Does it sound good to not have child support? I think so. Um, you know, what are the downsides though? And I'm, I'm sure people are going to the naysayers. Well, what if we don't have a child support order and he or she doesn't pay me or as agreed, or we have a falling out. That's true. You have a point, but remember, we're going to mark reserve jurisdiction on this, on the child support. So you can always go back to court. The court always has the ability to make an official order for child support. So if you're handling it amicably for a while, then you guys had a falling out. I know that sounds funny. You had a falling out after you've gotten divorced, but you know how, you know, I'm talking about parenting or something changes or someone gets involved in your life. You don't like the you know kids are with the new boyfriend or girlfriend. I get it. Things change, especially for these folks who had a two-year-old. They got 16 years of, of uh, raising uh, minor children. Not that when they turn 18, they don't need our help. I can, I can attest to that personally, but you know, things change. So what would happen in that case? Go to court. Um, have a hearing on child support, timeshare, turn in your income statements, and uh, the court will order child support. So there is a way to get that corrected. <clears throat> All right. The next major topic I want to talk about is understanding the financial side of divorce, just the financial side. I'm going to be very high level on this, okay? And I have five things I want to talk to you about. Number one, asset division. One of the biggest things to consider is how assets will be divided. This includes everything from property to retirement accounts. It's crucial, excuse me, to understand the process and ensure a fair split of assets for both parties. Think about what you own, what it's worth, and how it will impact your financial future. All good advice. Uh, that's what I wrote down as number one, asset division. That is part of the overall decision-making you have to make as part of your divorce process. So obviously, you're going to look at your asset division. And it can be as simple as dry, drawing a line down the middle of a, a notepad and saying, here's my, you know, here's what we have. Here's what they're worth. And let's figure out what's fair. Keep in mind, fair doesn't always mean 50-50. In fact, I can't tell you the last settlement agreement I put together where the division of assets and debts was 50-50 or honestly anywhere close to it. Most of our settlement agreements regarding um, division of assets is each keep their own, even though they're offset. They, they'll, you know, they'll make other um, changes. Maybe the, you know, the, the 401ks are more or less. And maybe if they're selling a house, maybe they'll offset that a little bit by giving them a little bit more equity to offset that. But for the most part, people are keeping their own assets and debts. Um, they're keeping their own vehicle. Maybe one vehicle is worth more than the other. So that level of fairness is completely in the eye of the beholder uh, of you guys. And um, doesn't have to be numerically. Is that what I want to say? From a dollar amount perspective does not have to be uh, equal and uh, or fair in a dollar situation. I can give you an example of a spouse who it was more important that she kept the house and her three kids in it than splitting up her spouse's pension and deferred comp. And the value of his pension and deferred comp was at least $100,000 more than the equity in the home. And she did not care. She said, Tim, I, I get it. He can keep it. I know I'm walking away from $100,000, but if, or, or half of the 100000 so 50000 um, because that'd be divided. But she said, look, if I say I want his pension and it's deferred compensation, then we have to sell the house because, I, you know, we have to split the equity. And I, I, it's more important, $50,000, keeping the kids in the house is more important than uh, $50,000. And she wasn't, like, her arm wasn't being twisted. 
Um, it was just a matter of fact that if if she if they wanted to divide that asset, that they're going to have to sell the house because they needed the equity from it, or he needed the equity from it if they were going to make that fair in their minds. Number two, I wrote down debt responsibility. So number one was assets. Number two is debt responsibility. During the marriage, you likely accumulated joint debts. Yes. And figuring out who's responsible for what can be tricky. Um, it's actually not. It's important to address these debts fairly and understand how they will affect your financial situation after the divorce. Take your time to assess your debts and come up with a plan for dividing them. Just like the assets, you also have to address the debts. And this is also part of the settlement agreement we'll put together. Keep in mind, you don't have to address them separately. It's not here's the assets and then now let's address the debts. You guys may want to look at, hey, you know, you have more in, in your 401k. So you take a little bit more of the community debt and that'll offset that as opposed to addressing it asset asset. If you have more assets, take more debts. If you make more income, instead of spouse support, you can say, hey, I'll take more of the debt. So there's ways to figure this out aside from going line item by line item. You know, look at everything in its totality the assets and debts, alimony, child support, the whole thing, and see what you guys can move around like chess pieces and figure out as opposed to going, first, let's do spouse support. Okay, here's what we agree on. Here's child support. Let's agree. Now let's address the assets. Now the debts. Look at it as like what they call a global settle settlement. Look at all, put everything on the table at once and see how you can move those pieces around to make it, sen make, it make sense for you guys. Yeah. It, um, one of the things I said here is it's tricky to figure out who's responsible for them. Not necessarily, um, you know, you have the community property laws in California. Uh, everything that you guys acquired during the marriage is considered community or joint, regardless of whose name it's in, regardless of in um, uh, who acquired it. If it's your name or both names, or it doesn't matter. In most cases, there's some loopholes, obviously, inheritance and, you know, things like that. But for the most part, it's going to be community property unless you had it before the marriage, things like that. Okay, number three, income and support. I wrote down, whether it's spouse support or child support, understanding your financial obligations is key. Factors like income levels, earning potential, and child care need to come into play here. Make sure you negotiate fair support agreements that consider everyone's financial well-being. So we're talking about child support, spouse support, you know, uh, a lot of things that we can talk about here, but I, I do want to keep this high level. You know, there's, it's up to you if you want spouse support. What I would tell you is, you know, understand the laws, if you will, in regards to spouse support, long-term marriage versus short-term marriage, um, how child support, how spouse support and child support is calculated. And, you know, the spouse support is basically income-based, income to income. The child support is income-based plus timeshare uh, is accounted for the, and, and those, and and varying those factors can change the amount of support. Going back to what I talked about earlier, you don't have to incorporate that as an actual court order. You guys can have that behind the scenes if you like. Um, and again, negotiating a fair settlement is, is as a global settlement, look at everything and see what makes uh, sense. Had consultations today with folks that um, they didn't have kids, but the issue was support. And when we looked at it and ran the numbers, and this happens a lot, they'll say, yeah, I want, you know, say, well, I could use support. And they'll say, well, what are your incomes? And I'll run the incomes. And if your incomes are at a level that the court would consider to be self-supporting, then generally there's not going to be any spousal support. So, for instance, we ran a spouse support order where one party made 140000 and the other spouse made 100000 And they're like, Tim, it's 40000 less. I assume there would be uh, spouse support. And you would think there would be, right? Nope. No support payable based on the calculation because 
the court, when I say the court, this algorithm that they use determines that if you're making a hundred thousand, you're probably self-supporting and don't need spouse support. Could you go to court, get an attorney and, and convince a judge to, that you need support? Sure. It's needs based. It's not just the income to income. It's also needs based. If you had a need higher, you know, uh, cost of living or whatnot, and you could prove that to the judge, then maybe you'll get some spouse support. But when we're doing this from an amicable fashion, sometimes people just want to see the numbers and say, oh, yeah, you ran the report. There's no spouse support and call it a day because I've had people saying, Tim, we agree on everything but the spouse support. I want it. He doesn't want to pay it or vice versa. I run the numbers and it turns out it's zero. And suddenly they're 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 in agreement because they have a document that says there's no spouse support. I want to say on one of the consultations day, we solved eight of the nine issues they had just by filling in the missing information. And this happens so many times. You guys just don't know what you need to know to make informed decisions. And I do that on the consultations many times. And you can walk away and say, oh, wow, thanks. I got it. Now we can sit down now knowing what we know and go figure this out. Number four, tax implications. Divorce can have a significant tax implication. So it's essential to be aware of them from filing status to property taxes. That's all true. And also, you know, how you divide your, your assets and debts. I'm not a tax specialist, you know, obviously consult your CPA. And I say that as well as I'm not an attorney, not to hear giving you legal advice. This is kind of just conversation between the two of us. But, you know, if you're dividing uh, assets and you have a, a home that one spouse is going to keep, or you have, one spouse has a pension and they're going to keep that, what are the tax implications of, of you guys keeping those various assets? I had a consultation last week and they um, it was some, it was not clients, it was just a consultation and she was reaching out to me because she was referred to me, but it turned out that they had a mediator that was, um, I don't know if it was an attorney mediator, it doesn't matter, but they had drafted a settlement agreement. She said, Tim, is there people or someone I can talk to who can go through my settlement agreement and look for out points, issues with you know, just mistakes I might be making, tax implications. And I said, absolutely. By the way, I've interviewed 25 people uh, and have the resources on my resource page at divorce661.com where I've interviewed CPAs, certified divorce financial analysts, life coaches, mediators, tons of resources. So I was able to say, hey, here's someone I talked to, great person. She actually works with women only. And that's exactly what she does. She's a certified divorce financial analyst. And her job is to go through your settlement agreement and tell you where, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly of it. And I didn't hear from her again. So I'm sure that she took her on and, uh, you know, maybe the settlement agreement's fine. Maybe she'll deliver the news and say, yeah, everything looks good. Great. She can sign that with confidence. On the other end, maybe she'll say, Hey, here's the out points and here's why I don't recommend you signing it. And, or here's how you can change this to to not have such a negative impact of uh, tax implication on you. And number five, talking about understanding the financial side of divorce, financial planning for the future. Okay, you guys have made the decisions. You've made the decision. You had a settlement agreement. You divide your assets, your debts. You got child support, custody. You know all that done. You're divorced. Moving forward, financial planning for the future. Once the divorce is finalized, it's time to focus on your financial independence, create a post-divorce budget, reassess your financial goals, and start building a solid financial 
foundation is what I wrote down. Think about your retirement, your savings, and how you manage your finances moving forward. It's all about setting yourself up for success. And I could argue, even though I wrote that down, I like to argue with myself, that you're probably going to want to do that before the divorce is over or even before you file for divorce. What's it going to look like? You guys are living together in a home or apartment. Now you're going to live separately in separate homes and apartments. That's going to be a significant change in lifestyle income-wise or I should say um, cost-wise, because now you, as I like to say, you have two incomes or one income and one household, especially like mortgage or rent. Now you're divorced. You have the same incomes, whether they were one income or two income. And now you have two sets of uh, utilities, rent, mortgage, et cetera. So the money just doesn't go as far anymore. So you're going to want to look at that as reassess your goals. And now keep my, you know, they do say it's financial experts. That's not me. But uh, that, you know, this divorce can have a devastating effect on your finances and your and your financial future. You know, you, maybe you guys had to collectively together a million dollars in a 401k. And I'm going to actually share a story with you from probably 10 years ago. Had a divorce case. They had $2 million. They, had a self, they were self-employed. They'd worked. They'd been married for 30 years. They ran the business together. Business did well. They put away $2 million in a 401k. And now they're getting divorced. Wife wanted it. Husband didn't. Those are always the tough ones. But he was amicable. And he said, Tim, we have saved for 30 years and we are going to live in retirement well off with $2 million in our retirement. And now that's been just slashed by 50%. Yes, a million dollars is still a lot of money. But that $2 million went to $1 million overnight. And they still have their same expenses, you know, working collectively and together, you know, 2 million for two people in one household is going to go a lot farther than 1 million for one person and one household. And if that number is throwing you off, you're like, Hey, it's a million. We talking about Tim, shut up. Make, you know, what if that was a hundred thousand cut to 50 or 50 cut to 25, your roadmap to success and your financial future, getting back to where you need to be which I think if we keep watching the news, everyone is falling behind and we're all in debt and all that good stuff. You know, it's going to be a struggle to get back to that point. Um, potentially, you know, some of my clients live in, leave in great shape. They walk away with their own, their own pensions, deferred comp, 401ks, what have you. And, and they're going to be fine. They have plenty. They've, they've done well. They've saved. They didn't overspend. I like when I see clients who have, um, you know, we've had um, this month or in the last 30 days, I should say, cause it's only the 8th of February. I think I've talked to three clients uh, in the last month that they had their home paid off, no debts, home paid off, cars paid off, no student debt, you know, and they weren't, you know, they were probably married 10 years. They're in their forties, 45. They're not, they weren't old. They weren't like 80 and they, we, we made it like they, they did things right. And I think they even said they lived off one income and that's how they kind of pulled that off. So they're going to be in good shape because they have money to fall back on. Anyways, I hope you like this live edition of the daily perspective episode 52 I will keep it up. Get your um, comments in, even if it's unrelated to what I talked about today. I am reviewing the content or the comments of the content, and I will answer them on future videos. Have a good evening. I'm glad it's not raining finally.